Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thursday Talk with a Coder and a Clinician. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Charles Hunley. Welcome back, Charles. Good to see you. It's been a while. Hey, welcome back again. I'm glad to be here. It's kind of what we do, so... Yep. Well, today we're going to be talking about diagnosis coding, which is a hot topic for a lot of providers, as well as the revenue cycle folks. So a diagnosis coding is also called medical coding. It's carried out typically by medical coders. However, as of late, many providers are being assigned responsibilities of attaching their own diagnoses to their patient encounters. Uh, with this happening more so for the physicians, it's important for them to understand why they need to be accurate in their diagnosis coding, what the coding guidelines are around certain diagnoses, and how your clinical documentation can help with reporting out those accurate diagnoses. So one of the things to point out is not only do diagnosis codes interpret medical necessity for claim payment, but it also can dictate the severity of the patient. So these codes can be used to help enhance communication between different healthcare providers. And when not documented correctly, it can result in multiple queries to the patient, or excuse me, to the physician. One of the things also to note with diagnosis coding, and we've got a couple of things that we wanna dive into is in the revenue cycle, when you have a diagnosis code that is not reported to that highest level of specificity, it can have impact on not only a professional services um, perspective, but it also can have financial implications on a hospital mm -hmm. as well. So what we want to do today is, as we're having this conversation, is to kind of talk through some of the challenges that the physicians are having and then bring in that administrative perspective as to why we need to have a, a little bit more clarity and specificity when it comes to diagnosis coding. So Dr. Hunley, when you are determining a diagnosis code for a patient, what, what as a clinician do you look for? Uh, that's what I'm actually thinking. I'm actually looking at, looking at this. Uh, actually looking at chart because it's interesting. Um, first off, nobody really has taught um, most clinicians how to add a diagnosis code. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, it's kind of Captain Obvious moment. We do it by experience. Um, you know, in residency, you watch your attendings, your attendings watch their attendings. Um, then you look at the diagnosis. For example, um, the, the big thing came between ICD-9 and ICD-10. You know, ICD-9, we had sepsis. We threw sepsis undetermined. Hey, I don't know what it means. I had that in there. What we do look for is in a, a long-winded uh, question, um, what we do look for is we look for what, why did the patient get admitted? What's their major problem, right? And then um, we put those diagnosis codes. For example, um, we love the queries. I mean, you talk to any physician in this world, we hate queries. We hate them. <laughs> but here's the question. Here's the problem is I put, they came in for acute respiratory failure. Well, why? What was that respiratory failure? Well, they, they got intubated. They had failure secondary to pneumonia. Instead of saying 
pneumonia cause acute respiratory failure. So we're looking at what the diagnosis uh, that we are looking at. And usually it takes a lot for physicians because some people are like, we need one diagnosis. No, we need three diagnoses as we're coding. We need this. It, it's never really been consistently educated unless you're, um, you're into your entity, your hospital, your group really spends time on setting that up in a standard. It's interesting that you brought up ICD-9 because with ICD-9, a lot of our code sets were maximized. I mean, the code set was maximized. We couldn't expand it. There was no place to add for additional conditions um, that and diseases that were being diagnosed. Um, what is interesting with ICD-9, however, is the physicians were able to use generic or unspecified codes, mm -hmm. and the insurance carriers would go ahead and pay for that because we didn't have the expansion for specificity to get to that higher level. And so from a clinician perspective, has it been a real adjustment for you to make the switch from those unspecified um, diagnoses to something more specific with ICD-10? So something that coders and physicians, so ICD-10 had a lot of generics, you're right. Uh, I mean, ICD-10, ICD, excuse me, ICD-9s, that I can't talk right now, uh, compared to ICD-10. ICD-9s had lots and lots of basically nonspecific. That was good for us because sometimes as an admission, I have no idea if you're inpatient, I have no idea why you're here, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is, you might come in with an infection or a sepsis, or you might be acute respiratory failure, but I'm not sure whether it's a pneumonia, whether it's congestive heart failure, whether it's, and I'm using my world. Uh, and so we, it was really easy for us to put unspecified and we never had to change that down the inpatient world. Right. Yeah. Um, now you have to like, make sure I have no idea why this patient is, but I have to change the diagnosis in the order sometimes, right? Uh, and that's something that physicians had to change with ICD-10. I mean, we joke around and say there's a code for absolutely anything and everything, including a squirrel bite, you know? Yeah, it's, it's ICD-10 is definitely on steroids with the specificity that we can get to. But, you know, from a administrative and a coder's perspective, the more documentation or the more specificity that you can get not only helps with proving medical necessity to an insurance carrier, but it could have a direct result on the overall DRG capture on the facility side. And so what I think is important, at least from looking at medical records as of late, what I have been noticing is there's a lot of providers that are still in the mindset of using those unspecified codes or unspecified um, unspecified codes or generic codes per se, even though that they may have a little bit more specificity. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was looking at an encounter where the provider documented hypoxia. In the note, however, the provider calls out, patient is here for acute respiratory failure with hypoxia. And so from a clinician perspective, 
Is it difficult to assign those more specific codes, even though your documentation may support it and you're going to like the first code that pops up? Um, what, what makes it so you guys document one way and code a completely different way? That's an awesome question. So when we code, right, when we code, it's interesting that you say that because we do. We, we write stuff and we, we tend to write, if we could find a way of coding, it would interpret. And that's why coders actually are probably more important than us documenting ourselves because any search for let's I'm, I'm gonna i'm using sepsis because there are when you look up sepsis there's unspecified and then there's a list of sepsis probably a hundred to two hundred probably more than that long about what's specific mm -hmm. right um yeah. so the practical application is is i write sepsis secondary to urinary tract infection with sharatia mm -hmm. i'm using sharatia which is a bacteria. So it's sepsis caused by UTI with a specific organism, a serratia. Now I have to go, if it wanted to be that specific in the ICD-10 world, I would have to go look up and get those diagnoses to add them to my chart. Think about that. I'm now searching beyond and say, I don't know if you've searched the ICD-10 world, but it is so massive on steroids. You see it is that you're taking massive amount of time just to get the right ICD 10 code where you could just have a template, write the chart and it puts it in. That takes time, energy and frustration. I mean, I get frustrated when I'm looking for, uh, you know, pneumonia slash mycoplasm or, you know, hypertension. Is this essential? Is this secondary? Is this, primary with, you know, caused by hyperaldosteronism, those specific lookups are so time consuming that I'm already writing a note that has to have a certain wording. So the insurance will get it right. Or the Medicare and Medicaid. And now I have to make it and I have to code for that, which takes more time. It's interesting you say that because, um, for example, sepsis. Sepsis has multiple codes that have to be reported. There's also a reporting error or a reporting um, order, not error, a reporting order that comes into play when you are uh, reporting out sepsis. And so if a provider really isn't that savvy with all the different coding rules and regulations, you're not going to necessarily know what should go in primary position versus what should go in secondary position. Um, do you think that the wave of the future that you are seeing and you're hearing about within your inner circles is that more and more physicians are being asked to actually code their diagnosis yeah. codes and their CPT codes? A very good example. And I, I'd say this, uh, Ingenious Med, uh, I, you know, I'm not, I'm using them again as this conversation is there are many organizations that are trying to save, um, not, I don't want to say save dollars, but when you start looking at, when you start looking at the ability to generate revenue and, and have coders, Ingenious Med is an excellent opportunity because the physicians can code and it can go straight to 
a holding you know, house and out the door, like Centricity or some other holding and go out the door. So many organizations are relying on the physicians and in different locations. Physician could be rounding at one hospital, go to the other hospital, go to the other hospital in a hospital script using apps like that to code and go out the door. Um, that is increasingly being looked at as a viable measure. Um, hopefully, the organizations are smart enough to say, we need a compliance go look at the charts. So, you know, and if you're having lots of rebounds from insurance that you start looking at why and statistically looking at why. Because Yeah, because the diagnosis code ultimately helps to justify medical necessity for the services that you are providing. We know right now we've got a couple of insurance payers that if the diagnosis code um, doesn't match what they feel should be the right evaluation and management code, they're automatically rejecting these. Uh, case in point, United Healthcare with the level fives. If they don't like the diagnosis codes that are submitted and they feel that it could be a lower level of service based off of those diagnosis codes, they're not even doing a request for medical records anymore. They're just automatically rejecting those or downcoding those to a lower level. Um, with providers, because, you know, I've rounded with physicians. I've been in the hospital with them. I've been in their clinic settings. Mm -hmm. A lot of times... Proving medical necessity doesn't just boil down to the diagnosis code that you pick. A lot of it has to go in to prove, you know, some of the comorbidities. You have your diagnosis code of what you're treating as your primary diagnosis, but to help us prove the severity of the patient and overall complications that may arise or the management per se that you are managing how does uh, a comorbidity of, say, diabetes play into a visit that you're having with that patient? And it's not necessarily geared towards diabetes, but how does that additional diagnosis or those additional comorbidities help give some weight and some bearing to your overall diagnosis picture? Well, and okay, so we deal with comorbidities all the time. Um, I'm a great, great example. You know, when we talk physician to physician or physician to APP, we're like hypertension, diabetes, you know, and we're so used to the comorbidities. Um, mm -hmm. The conversations, and it's actually interesting because um, you and I've had this conversation with our, with, with our mm -hmm. clients and, and our partners out there is physicians sometimes don't equate their charting and their their documentation to they think it's our billing right it's it's mm -hmm. it's the physicians pay but at that same time those comorbidities that they're listing out right classically physicians like you need three diagnoses on your billing well technically you need the right diagnosis but your documentation needs to show a severity of illness especially on the yep. inpatient because the hospital is 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 charging and they're looking at your severity of interest of what's diagnosed and what's there and you're billing it. It's a parallel. You, you, they make more money. I mean, I shouldn't say make more money. This, this, the comorbidities mean you work harder. So thus you should get more reimbursed, more reimbursed more. 
the the hospitals uh, there they have a you know a length of stay they have a, a payment that's supposed to be there they need those diagnoses and the severity to show that patient is super sick or they're going to get paid a finite amount and they're going to spend over that amount which is detrimental to the hospital and so physicians i don't until i entered this world if you asked me this <laughs> eight years ago before i started in this world I probably wouldn't create that. I got a query on the chart. I probably would be like, what the heck? It's just a joke. Um, we've been working now with groups and with hospitals, matching that, seeing those results. Most physicians need that communication. This is why we're doing this and we're putting a system together. Yeah, what's really interesting, you brought up a, a lot of really good points. I don't think that the physicians understand that your diagnosis coding not only has a direct impact on your physician services or your profi billing, because that really helps to prove medical necessity. It helps to justify the CPT codes that you are billing out for reimbursement. But at the same time, especially on the inpatient side, if you are seeing a patient in the hospital as an initial admit or a subsequent encounter or even a consult, um, what happens with those is um, the patient's entire length of stay is reviewed. The diagnosis codes of what is being treated is looked at with any procedures that are done. And it goes into what we call a grouper. And the grouper is basically where we take our diagnosis codes, our length of stay, any procedures that are done on the, on the patient, we put it into a system it spits out what we call a, a DRG or a diagnosis related grouping. Okay. So based off of your diagnosis codes and your comorbidities and um, just how severe the patient is can make the difference between uh, one DRG being reported and another because DRGs are reported on with comorbidities or a major complication or without. And the difference between those two sets of codes could be upwards of five to $6,000. And so if a physician isn't reporting out that the patient may have hypertension or congestive heart failure or diabetes or some of these other comorbidities that actually make the overall care of the patient a little bit more complex, they could be potentially losing out on um, thousands of dollars on the facility side, which ultimately helps pay for nursing services, room and board, and the ancillary staff that physicians need to be able to do their jobs. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, that makes sense. You got me on that thought process right there of, of you know, we, we talk about the healthcare system, but it, it it's kind of accelerated. And what I mean by that, and this mm -hmm. is one of my personal kind of statements of one of the reasons why we started this company, why we wanted, you know, uh, there's a, there's a famous, uh, YouTuber named Z dog MD. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yes. He talks about healthcare 2.0. Um, I'm, um, you know, I, if I was a YouTuber, I'd be below the link, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, what I, he talks about the system and how it's 
it needs to be fixed. Well, the system's ev been an evolution. Okay. Um, yep. More people have been needing to be served with health care. Uh, insurances, Medicare, Medicaid all have ICD-10 codes for a reason for diagnosis. And to be quite honest with you, if 10 years ago, people are actually, I remember when I was out of residency in, I did, you know, some locum somewhere and they would put a little lady in the hospital that needed some blood for anemia in the hospital, right? I mean, she would come to the hospital for a couple of days in the hospital. And I'm be like, and to me, I'm a young resident going, well, this is kind of a useless waste of resource. I was just brand new attending. This is uh, actually about 13 years ago, 14 years ago. I'm aging myself. Um, <laughs> they literally, now you don't get in the hospital unless you are absolutely ready to die, right? And so the hospital's expenditure of letting a little lady and getting some blood and getting paid for it and the insurance pays for the whole you know, hospital stay. Now, you don't come to the hospital because there's so much resources that need to be used and finite with the amount of people that need to come into the hospital that the evolution that has occurred, the physicians have still kind of, we're doing our services, we're doing our services, we're paying for service. And I'm not blasting us because no offense, I would like to just do my service, write my note, have somebody else read it, right? Not care in the world. Why do I need a code? Why do I need a query? Or somebody's going to code my note, sit it out the door, it comes back, we get paid, right? Yep. Now we're looking at really how does my documentation justifying this patient staying in the hospital, number one, because I'm not getting paid if they're not getting paid. Number two, how sick is this patient, right? Because there's what, you know, I'm using hospital medicine right now. There's ops right? There's a level one, there's, you know, how many that levels, then there's critical care level. And all those have DRG codes associated with the length of stay and amount of hospitals get paid for. And now most hospitalists, critical care, I mean, I, I, I know that are, are employed, either as a very large group, multi-specialty practice, or hospital employed. And so, you could be a worker and just go, oh, yeah, I'm going to do my job. But then you don't, your hospital's not going to do well and you're not going to have a job. You have to go to another hospital and they're not going to do well. And I think that's the system we're into is having to understand ICD-10 codes and how they significantly impact DRGs and the unified package. Yeah, I think, I think because we have been so siloed for so many years, um, you know, working in this industry uh, almost 30 years myself, when we would educate, we would solely focus on, well, this is the profi side. And we would never help bridge the gap for the physician to say, okay, this is what you got to do on the profi side, but what you do over here connects over here on the facility side and the package together with your diagnosis codes, the procedures that you are performing really does have financial impacts on both sides of the fence. So let me ask you this. You know, we've talked about diagnosis coding. Um, we've talked about how sometimes it's laborious for the providers to go into the different EMRs and try to pick a more specified diagnosis code. 
Um, I've seen these providers when they log into Epic or GE Centricity, some of these other EMRs, when you put in hypertension, it will give you 50 hypertensions to choose from and you have to scroll down. They don't make it easy for the physician. Mm -mm. So with that being said, what would you recommend for some of the coders and the CDI folks who are responsible for those queries? What would you recommend is the best way to reach the providers? And the reason why I'm asking this question is I hear this all the time from coders and CDI professionals. My providers are not answering my diagnosis queries. So if we want a physician to answer our diagnosis queries, what is the best pathway for us to get through to them? Wow, that's actually a really good question because I just had this conversation with uh, with my coder um, that, you know, we had this conversation about, um, you know, so-and-so, you know, is not... I've emailed him or her and she's not reaching or he's not reaching back out to me. Why? Um, the relationship, and this is actually somebody who has a relationship. And so the new, as a, I have some, there's some new people that like, who are you? What are you doing? I'm suspicious. Why are you saying this? You kind of got to get to know them. And then, um, it's, it's, it's funny because there's two different things. There's the coding and billing side where, Hey, I didn't get this documentation or this could have been level of this rate. Did you, you know, did you document this right for another, you know, was this critical care time or whether this was follow-up three time? I didn't get that. Um, having specific, like, this is why I'm emailing you. This is why I'm calling you is very important. The next thing is, is um, I actually had this happen. I answer all my queries. I do. I'm, I promise you. Anybody's watching on there is probably like, no. I'm going to follow up with your coder and make sure yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, you know, the in-house queries get a little annoying. Is this patient have, and it's on the sheet, everything's laid out. I need clarification. This patient was malnutrition. Well, I just said it was malnutrition, right? I set it on the chart. Why do you need to query it? So finding a system of just, you know, I read the, I didn't read your documentation. I looked at the chart, saw their BMI was 18 or 17, right? And they, they were, you know, this, is this patient malnutrition? Well, if you read the chart, uh, you would see, I said, severe malnutrition, secondary to, you know, malignancy and, you know, unable to eat for, you know, 12 days, right? On the chart. Uh, so sometimes it, you know, it, it, and it's both ways. It, it's an annoyance to physicians. I get it. Sometimes you want the answer because you're seeing a piece of a chart if you're inpatient mm -hmm. and you want the answer. So you just want to send a, a, a quick email out. So mm -hmm. you get your query out. Um, you send enough of those out then somebody's not going to answer you back. Does that make sense? It does. So if a coder wants their queries answered, they really should be very specific in what they're asking. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing with that is, is coders that are querying have to be careful because we can't lead the provider as to what needs to be done. 
But there's a right way to ask for clarification and to get it honed in to the point that the provider understands the question that you're asking. Because it sounds like to me that a lot of times the queries that you've received or other physicians have received from talking to them, it's a lot of information in there and they really don't understand what the ask is. And so as a coder, we have to make sure that we can define what our ask is within a legalized manner. Yeah. And that's, it's very, it's very hard right now to be very honest with you because coders are usually in another building, another office. Um, The ideal world would be your coder knows all your physicians. Hey, you know, Dr. Jones or Dr. Smith or Dr. Hunley. uh, Yeah. I'm seeing this trend, you know, can you make sure you work this out? Um, You know, and usually they know your specialty and I actually, you know, now a lot of the codes, it's epic world. You're sending, you're doing your note, you're charging it. It's going out. The coders do so much work, whether it's just on procedures or just, just on this or just on critical care time or, and so um, it's not, you're kind of even more disconnected from the coding department, you know, and it's kind of very tough. Um, so if I were a coder, I would, if I have a, a whole group that I know, I would probably, and you know, coders don't talk into physicians. I would recommend understanding what they do. Um, you know, I say that all the time. And for physicians, Number one thing is I don't know coders and I think you speak my talk because you're you're call, text calling me and saying this code, this documentation equals this. I instantly in my brain think you understand my history and physical and how what I'm going through and what the whole thought yeah. process is because you're using if you were a patient's family and um, I just got, you know, called on this, you know, don't be so technical. Um, we, we don't, we're not, we lower the level of understanding down to the patient's family because we know that they don't speak our language. Now you come back and say to me as a coder, is this patient have this, this, and you're using medical terminology at me, I instantly think that you understand the pathology, the physiology, and everything else going that direction. And all honesty, coders don't necessarily understand all of that because 90% of the coders don't have any formalized medical training. They go through a medical billing and coding program, but they're, and they get limited exposure to anatomy and physiology and medical terminology but they don't have those clinical components to be able to connect the clinical indicator piece of it with the documentation requirements and what the providers need to understand to be able to clarify for us. And so I think that that brings up an interesting point is, you know, when when coders are asking questions to the clinicians, because I've had coders tell me, I hate to query this provider because he comes back and he's very snippy with me. And, you know, I think it's important for the physicians to understand that your coders may not have any formalized medical training behind them. And really what they're trying to do is they're trying to understand from a clinical perspective, 
what exactly are you doing? Because if I can understand what you're doing, I can take what you're doing and I can find a medical code for it. But if I have no idea what you're doing and I don't understand what you're treating, it's really difficult for me to be able to assign those codes. And if I can't assign those codes, it's ultimately going to affect your revenue. No, and that's exactly it. And that goes back to, I mean, it goes back to a couple of podcasts we talked about. And I keep talking about um, the the short story about monkey food is that coders want to know how you're making what you do in your world to get meaning off of their codes and billing. All right. right. Uh, very similar to the story about, you know, the people who are making monkey food in a pet food industry and was really like, why am I doing this until they realized that the monkeys were doing research and this and their food was that important. Same thing with the physicians, meeting the, meeting the coders, getting to understand that, Hey, they might, they, you know, they might have, you know, a lot of medical knowledge. They might have very little medical knowledge and they're just going coding, understanding that how do I, project that severity in a, in a systematic format. Cause I'm very much in beating the drum again is getting a system together of, Hey, um, you know, and I, I'm big advocate of saying all the groups, you need a template. Yes. I do this thing this way and this way, but having a template, so a coding and, and billing and the query and inpatient, uh, CDI people all understand a standardized approach makes a huge difference and lessens your stress in the hospital. So I'm going to actually bring up because I have worked with groups that have a template in place, but the clinician still does not document their diagnosis codes to that highest level of specificity because there is a difference. Um, The example today, I'm going to go back to the example today that I was working on with a chief medical officer a little bit earlier we have a provider who is documenting um, hypoxia and in other parts of the medical record, it is listed as acute respiratory failure with hypoxia. So even though there's a template in place, the providers, I think the templates are great. I'm a huge advocate for standardizing um, and templates just to make sure all the required elements are there with the history, the physical exam, medical decision-making, all of the questions you have to answer with procedure codes. But if the physician isn't being detailed enough when they're documenting in the template, we still won't be able to assign appropriate diagnosis codes, and that will ultimately still have an impact on reimbursement. So what, what, what would the conversation be for the physicians to understand the importance of documenting those diagnosis codes? Because I know they're treating it. And we've talked about, you know, in the past, making sure physicians are getting paid for the services that they are doing because, you know, doctors work really hard. They should get credit for the services that they are providing. Yeah, and and really goes back to, um, paint the picture of how sick the patient is, uh, write down the diagnoses, um, and the acute and the chronic diagnoses, 
right yep. down the acute diagnoses and then the chronic diagnosis. Um, that goes back to, I, I have my way. I want to do my notes so I can get my note done and move on. Um, having that, making sure you paint the picture of how sick that patient is, not just for your level of illness, but the, the hospital's DRG as the grouper would go and educating that you are treating the level because everybody says we've seen more sick people here in the last three years than we've seen in the last 10. Well, you need to paint the picture. Yeah. And so and I'm going to drop the and mic. You and right I, we hear this day in and day out. Every group that we work with, um, the very first thing out of any of their mouths is we have the sickest patients you will ever see, but their mm -hmm. documentation doesn't necessarily back up to show you have the sickest patients. And you and I both, as we drop the mic and, and start closing this podcast out is paint the picture of the patient and how sick they are. Absolutely. With all the diagnoses. So. Absolutely. So in closing, I think there's a couple of really important takeaways for um, both coders and clinicians to understand. Ultimately, number one, your diagnosis codes do interpret to a form of reimbursement, whether it's helping to prove medical necessity to get your CPT codes uh, reimbursed or playing into the overall DRG grouper so the hospital facility can get reimbursed with um, the appropriate diagnosis codes that are being reported out. I think the other takeaway is, you know, coders are not clinicians. We don't know what you're trying to say unless we've been in the industry a really long time and have been exposed to it day in and day out. And so because of that, when we're asking when we're asking certain questions of the provider, be patient with some of us because some of us are brand new in this industry and we've never had any any experience when it comes to that clinical side of medicine. Yeah, and, and on my side, it's taking the team approach, uh, making sure that you have good communication, a good standard way to communicate. And, um, you know, my, my new word is, you know, give grace to people and, and, and realize that, you know, coders don't have a master's in, in, you know, in coding and bridge that gap with each other. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this week's version of the Thursday talk. We hope you can join us for our next one. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Have, have a nice day and hope to see you next Thursday.